District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about our sponsor, head over to CFACT.org. Thank you so much for listening to the show. I'm thrilled to be joined by Tim Morrow of the San Antonio Zoo, where he serves as the CEO. And we're going to talk about the zoo, zoos in general, their work in conservation, and other topics relating to zoo conservation. So, Tim, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Uh, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. How did you get roped into working in zoological societies, zoos like the San Antonio Zoo? How did you get to this role? It was a total accident. So I had uh, lived in San Antonio as a small child and been to the zoo and then um, ended up moving. My dad was an FBI agent, so we moved around. Um, I spent fifth grade through high school in Dallas, outside of Dallas growing up. Um, And then my parents retired back to San Antonio. And I came down a couple of years behind them um, to start going to school down here. And my intention was to do law enforcement like my dad had done. And so I was going to school for uh, law enforcement. Um, Fiesta, Texas, uh, which is now Six Flags Park, was opening uh, here that year. So I, I just went and got a summer job as a lifeguard. And uh, the second year, they asked me to come back as a trainer. And then the third year, they asked me to come back as a supervisor. And I kept saying, no, like, this is not what I want to do. Um, I need to find you know something during the summers related to law enforcement to do. But I really started liking working at, in hospitality. Um, and then after my fourth year at SeaWorld Six Flags, I was like, I'm not working here anymore. This is not what I want to do. Um, SeaWorld called me out of the blue and said, hey, we want you to come on our water park and some areas at the park. And I said, no, <laughs> but they said, you know, come out and do a tour and just let us show you around. And I went out and I said, OK, well, I have nothing else to do this summer, so I'll work here. And I'm you know, a seasonal employee working 10 months out of the year at SeaWorld for a couple of years. And then um, really started thinking about changing my major at that point. I just really enjoyed the hospitality industry. And then SeaWorld had that added layer of animal care and conservation and connecting people to those animals. And I really fell in love with that. And so um, as I switched from a junior college, I had gotten two degrees in criminal justice. I was switching to a university and I changed my major to sociology. I thought it most closely aligned with uh, what I was doing because they did not have a hospitality degree um, and just became full-time to SeaWorld. I got to go to Orlando and open Discovery Cove, which is this beautiful dolphin uh, resort and very guest interactive with, you know, reefs that you can swim in and aviaries where birds land on you. And um, just love that whole concept of really connecting guests when you can to, to the species that we care for. Um, and then, you know, fast forward, I was, at, I came back to SeaWorld San Antonio. I ended up being there for 19 years. Um, a headhunting firm was looking for the director of San Antonio Zoo. And I said no to that also, <laughs> but ended up, I came and walked the zoo one day and, you know, I'd come here as a child and, um, I had brought my older son here in the early nineties and, um, mid nineties. And I just was like, I know I can really help this place with all I've learned through my years of hospitality. And I love San Antonio and I love this zoo. And I know that everything I do at this zoo will have an impact on our community. Um, and so I was really excited about the opportunity and actually was offered the job. I think 140 people applied for it. Um, but just been blessed to be able to, and honored to have the helm of this historic zoo. And so all a total accident starting as a lifeguard. That's incredible. And you've been the CEO of San Antonio Zoo since 2014. Is that correct? Right. I got here right at the end of 2014, which was fun because that was the 100 year anniversary of the zoo. So I got here the last, the end of the last 100 years and the beginning of the next 100 years. So it's kind of symbolic too, with all the changes we've been doing to kind of come in at that time period of, of the zoo as well. What is unique to the San Antonio Zoo? I drove by it and I sent you a picture on Instagram. So we have the most beautiful parking garage on the planet. Um, we just built that, you know, we're, we're, a, we're a very popular attraction in San Antonio. We do over a million visitors a year. 
Um, we desperately need parking for this. We're, we're located in a historic park called Brackbridge Park. Um, so we knew we needed a garage, but we didn't want it just to be a, a garage. So we've done a lot of green screen on it with plants and trees, a lot of horticulture on it, but we put big giant animals on the garage. So, and they really represent our conservation efforts uh, in three different places. One, we have a big Sumatran tiger that's like 60 feet long um, along the side of the garage representing our conservation work in Asia. Uh, around our logo on the garage, we have monarch butterflies representing our conservation work in North America and right here in San Antonio. And then on the end of the garage nearest to the highway, we have three giraffes, which represent, of course, our African conservation efforts. So the garage really speaks to our conservation and education as well. And even inside the garage, um, each floor is different species, starting, starting with subterranean species, working their way up through the mountains into, into birds as you go up the garage. So we really try to make everything educational. But the zoo in general is 107 years old. We're a private uh, 501c3 nonprofit. We sit in this beautiful Brackenridge Park, like many you know, old zoos sit in parks because they were at one point run by the city. Um, the river walk for the San Antonio River Walk that people know starts here inside the zoo. Um, so we have this beautiful river flowing through the zoo. We have beautiful historic trees and a lot of WPA era through the 30s, 40s um, construction work that is when this zoo really flourished, when they, they, they were putting people back to work with the WPA. And so we have these beautiful historic buildings gorgeous trees and a river running through our zoo. So just a really beautiful, charming zoo. Um, we've had a long history of being innovated. One of the first zoos in the country with cageless exhibits. Um, we're doing new innovative things now that we, well, I'm sure we'll talk about later. But we also operate Will Smith Zoo School, which is a nature-based preschool that has about 240 kids that go to school there. And the waiting list above about five to 800 per year to get in. So this incredible nature-based preschool for kids. We also operate Kitty Park, which is the nation's oldest children's amusement park, um, sits on the side of the zoo, so you can access it from outside the zoo. Um, just an incredible old theme park uh, with an 1800s carousel made of hand-carved horses and things like that. Uh, we operate a historic train inside of the park, uh, started in the 1950s, and we operate a Starbucks inside of the park um, that the general public can come to without coming to the zoo. And then, of course, our Center for Conservation and Research, which is a behind-the-scenes entity of the zoo. So there's a lot going on at our zoo, but it's, it's, it's really, I think, first and foremost, it's a beautiful, charming zoo that has a great history. I wish I had time to visit. I was busy doing meetings, but I drove by it and I was like, I have to send this to Tim before we do the yeah. interview. And no, it looks that. wonderful. Oh, well, yeah. At some point, maybe, maybe demo something or come see it for myself at some point. Yeah. That'd be really cool. But yeah, I'm I'm very familiar with private zoos or zoos that are nonprofit but operate privately. San Diego Zoo was the zoo I grew up with, so that's how I developed a a love of wildlife conservation and interest in these kind of unique animal species. And I bet San Antonio Zoo is very similar to how it's kind of framed up because it's in Balboa Park, another historic yes. park as well, from the early 1900s World Fair, and it kind of set up around that time. Yes. And it, it's really you know zoos are great for kids, and I think in a day where everything is so technologically plugged in and kids now have these distractions with tools. I think a zoo is a great place for them to kind of unwind and to explore their surroundings and, and realize there are things beyond their little screen. Yeah. The zoo is someplace where uh, it's fun to watch people not on their phones all the time. You know, you <laughs> in a restaurant and look around nowadays, the entire families are on phone and iPads. Yes. And, you know, that what's really the basis of our preschool is, getting kids outside. So they spend 50 to 70% of their day outside learning through nature. If it's raining, hot, snowing, whatever it is, they're outdoors. 
And, you know, the stats show that kids nowadays under 10 are spending eight to 10 hours a day in front of a screen, whether that be a computer, an iPad, a TV, or a phone, and less than seven minutes a week outside with unstructured play, just outside playing and learning and exploring. So we're really, uh, you know, our school's really a throwback to the yesteryear when um, your, your parents told you to get out of the house and come home when the streetlights come on. And, you know, you learned how to negotiate with your friends and assess safety when you're playing in the woods and those kind of things as a young child and, and kids nowadays are not getting that. They're just glued to screens and games and TV. So um, it is interesting that when you walk the zoo to see people not on their phones, because it's just so common everywhere else that they are on their phones. That's incredible. That's really good to hear. And, and that wouldn't surprise me because people are really intrigued by the animals and certainly you can have your phone out or camera to take uh-huh. out to take pictures of the unique species. And and what are some of the attractions? What are some of the draws to the zoo? Because I know every zoo is different. The San Diego Zoo had pandas on loan, polar bears and other species. I know there are some similar species at the San Antonio Zoo, but why don't you list off some of the main attractions at the zoo? Sure. So we, um, in 2015, opened up a new savanna where guests you know can come feed giraffes face-to-face. Um, that's a mixed species um, area. It has giraffes and ostrich and cranes and sitatunga stock and um, a lot of different birds, uh, just a great open exhibit with mixed species. Um, and next to that, we have a new rhino habitat that we reimagined in 2019 um, that actually connects into the draft exhibit. So some species can move back and forth between these two spaces, which is really fun and unique. Um, so those are two of the newer, bigger, popular ones. We've redone lions in the last few years. You know, we were one of the first zoos in the country with the cageless exhibits with the moat system. Um, that was kind of created during the WPA with these big moats that you looked across instead of at a cage. And um, those are those are now aged looking, not modern exhibitry. So our lion exhibit is a good example. We had a moat system. We filled that moat in, um, which gave the lions 25% more space and then created a big glass um, barrier between the guests and the lions that you're now a quarter of an inch away from a lion. And um, guests really enjoy that habitat because the lions are very... Um, engaging with the kids and they'll chase kids up and down the windows and sneak up on them at the windows. And we have a training wall where we do husbandry activities that we can open one of the walls with a mesh, you know, a a mesh behind it. And some, and randomly will allow guests to do tug of war with the lions. So really enriching for the lions and and the guests. So we have a lot of really unique features to our zoo and and we've really been trying to create more opportunities for people to connect with animals uh, 2019, we opened a kangaroo petting area where you can go in and pet um, kangaroos. You know, we have a lorikeet um, habitat that you can go in and feed lorikeets. We have behind the scenes now where you can go in with our Aldarba tortoises. You can go behind the scenes and meet um, hippos. You can go behind the scenes and meet rhinos and all those you know, copies and all those kind of things. So really, we're trying to turn the zoo inside out so people see what's happening not only on the guest-facing side, but behind the scenes. And that's something I think a lot of zoos are doing going forward is really showing people what's happening behind the scenes and the care that the animals get, even when you don't see them, this is the level of care that they're getting behind the scenes. Transparency and interactive kind of qualities. I remember, yeah, I mean, I've been to the DC zoo as well. The Smithsonian ran one and a few other zoos in my time, but it's been a while since I've been to the zoo, but yeah, I remember now seeing that the enclosures have more space. They're a lot more, generous with giving the animals kind of a recreation of their natural habitat. It's not entirely ideal, but it it kind of is a more, I would say, accurate representation of what the animals are typically used to with their habitat in their native homelands or in their native habitats. And zoos do their best to showcase that they have great proper care and feeding and preparation and space to roam. And, And certainly the interactivity component to it is is really great for visitors too. anytime you go to a zoo because people should be engaged see what goes on 
uh, when they're in the exhibit, outside of the exhibit. And I know different shows like those on Animal Planet uh, showcase that too. I think certain zoos have certainly broadened their horizons to to give people a more behind the scenes look. And, and that's great because that goes into what you guys do to educate the public about conservation, educational things about species conservation. And I know zoos like yours are part of the Association of Zoos and Aquariums. Could you explain the role of the AZA, how you guys are accredited with it, what it means to hold membership in that and what the group does to advance the zoo's goals at large and other zoo's goals? Yeah, so we, it's, we have a long history with AZA. And actually, one of our former directors, we've had basically four zoo directors here in 100 years. Um, Louis de Sabato was the director here from 1967 to 1994 and was one of the founding members of AZA because zoos had belonged to a kind of museum organization before, museum and zoos. And the zoos are always the afterthought as the museums dominated the meetings and dominated the talk. <clears throat> and they're not apples to apples, of course. Um, and so we, we're one of the longest accredited members of AZA, and that's really the gold standard of accreditation of zoos in the world. And so the highest level of standards, I mean, by that accreditation, you're required to be doing conservation work, you're required to be doing education work, you're required to be fiscally sound and responsible in your animal care and welfare and all those things. So we go through an accreditation process every five years where we, they send multiple inspectors down from other zoos to inspect your property. And I mean, it's like a week long they go in every door, talk to staff, talk to board members, very rigorous process to keep that accreditation. But um, it's something that people need to look for when they go visit zoos. Is this zoo accredited? And we've seen, you know, TV series like the Tiger King and these kind of places that are not accredited or not even legitimately accredited and um, not and it's have really poor levels of animal care and things like that. And that does not happen at accredited zoos. That's true. And while it was entertaining, crazy kind of bizarre to watch that show. Obviously, that is a poor representation of zoos within the AZA's, I would say, membership uh, with any accredited zoo. But yeah, it's amazing that that uh, program electrified audiences. I admit I was intrigued, but I was like, this is definitely not an accurate portrayal. It's kind of a murder mystery, you know, yeah. thriller type of thing. But yes, absolutely. Nothing like Tiger King, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, there's a lot of people, no matter what, have opinion on animals and the care of animals or, or animals in the care of man. Um, but there's some things that AZA and um, animal rights groups agree on. And there's places like that that should not exist. And that is not how animals should be cared for. And I, I think that accredited zoos have done a much better job over the last 10, 15 years of telling our stories of how we are responsible, how we care for animals, and that we are the gold standard um, and why are we are here, why we're so important. We're becoming the last art for a lot of species. And so um, there's, there's, it's an interesting times where you see these alignments between groups that have traditionally been completely against animals in the care of man, but they, they agree that it's, it's necessary. It is important. And, um, the ones that are not doing it correctly are the ones that need to go away. Certainly. And what would happen tomorrow? Let's say if zoos disappeared and sometimes a lot of animal rights groups do have you guys in your, their crosshairs. I've seen this, I've seen different <sighs> stories pointing to the fact that these enclosures are so constricting. These animals are poorly maintained. They're not well. And I've heard this about SeaWorld, which I think gets even more flack too. I remember, um, I think they got rid of the killer whale exhibits, if I'm not mistaken. But that was a great show too, um, even with the controversies attached to it, alleged ones. And a lot of people don't understand kind of what goes on to the zoo's framework. And I think many people in, in the United States, especially, it's not just a menagerie for our entertainment. I think that's what a lot of certain activists get lost with zoos and their purpose, but there are some people who want to essentially take you guys out of business. So how do you respond to those attacks? Do you invite those people to come learn about different initiatives 
What would happen if zoos were to be eliminated from the United States? What would what would be lost? Yeah, you you made a lot of great points, and and I am one of those people that invites them in. Um, when you know when I got to the zoo, we had an elephant by herself that um, very past her lifespan, so we knew we couldn't move her. Um, we had some um, protesters and activists, um, which I don't think is a bad thing all the time. I think it kind of pushes zoos and any industry in the right direction. Activism does. Um, but a lot of times there's just misinformation. So I invited a lot of them in. I'm friends with some of them now and they begrudgingly agree that even though they don't 100% love zoos, they get it now. You know, once you show them and explain to them and, and do the things that we're doing responsibly and that helps. Um, but zoos are the last arc for a lot of species. I mean, we have species here that are extinct in the wild that we're breeding. The microgen kingfisher is an example. Um, it's completely extinct in the wild. We've had three births of that bird here in the last year and a half. There's only 143 on the planet, all in the care of man. So places like our zoo and other zoos are breeding these birds to hopefully re-release them back out in the wild um, when the islands that they come from are free of snakes that were introduced accidentally. So there's, and that those programs can go on and on and on. I could list out a lot of extinct species that we're caring for here, a lot of endangered species that we're caring for here. For Texans, we have a beloved animal called the horny toad or the horned lizard. And um, it's it's not endangered yet, but it's heading that direction. It's disappearing from, from over 40% of its range in Texas. And it's zoos right now that are saving that species. So the San Antonio Zoo, the Fort Worth Zoo, the Dallas Zoo, we've got the state divided up in three parts. We're all three breeding horned toads and working with rent landowners to do uh, prep the land and then do re-releases of horned toads on uh, private land. And we work with Texas Parks and Wildlife and the government to do that. But if it wasn't for zoos, there'd be nobody doing it. Our Center for Conservation Research here has species that are found nowhere else um, in the caravan except for our location. We probably have one of the largest subterranean centers on the planet. Um, a flatwood salamander um, from the southeast lives on two ponds on our Air Force base. Uh, no one's ever gotten them to breed in captivity. We, we were the first to have uh, breeding in captivity. We have another um, group about to be born. So we're going to have the second group born. And hopefully we'll do, go back out and do re-releases on that Air Force base and some other ponds to get that population back. And that goes on and on through all species up to elephants and the big mega species that everyone knows about. But for us, zoos like us and accredited zoos around the world, it's, it's every species matters. If you look at the ecosystem like a spider web and you cut one strand of that each time you lose a species, eventually the, the web falls apart. And that's what's happening right now to the planet. You know, we're in the middle of the sixth mass extinction of our times and um, it's happening very fast and most of it because of human activity. So it's going to take humans to fix it. And that's what the zoos are doing. You mentioned menagerie style. I think, you know, the zoo of yesterday or yesteryear was, that's how zoos were judged as being great. Who had the most animals? And it was a lot of small menagerie style exhibitry, almost an assembly line. You would just go down, look at each one. There was one animal of each. You know, so you got to see it and check that box. Um, this zoo was one of those zoos. We were, you know, top three zoo in the country for a long time. And it's because we had a lot of animals and a lot of um, single animals. And it, zoos back then did not understand the, you know, the social needs and the mental needs and the physical needs at some points of all the species they, they had and cared for. Uh, we're much smarter now. And what we're learning from that is helping us build habitats that are enriching for animals and naturalistic, but also helping us better study those animals here so we can help their counterparts in the wild. And so, you know, our zoo had a, a, a gorilla exhibit at the entrance with one gorilla named Mopi. I'm still asked about him once a week by people that visit, but it, you know, it has, it has sometimes it doesn't even click in their brain that there was a gorilla by itself in an exhibit at San Antonio Zoo, which you would never do um, anymore. So the miss, there's this, um, thought of that's what zoos still are, which they are not. If you look at zoos now, they're judged by who has the most naturalistic 
um, enriching habitats for animals that look like places they're from, who's doing the most conservation work, who's doing the education work. You mentioned San Diego Zoo is a perfect example. They, you know, they're known as being a, a great zoo to the public, but in the zoo world, they're known as for their science, what they're doing with science. Um, they're working right now to save northern white rhinos from extinction. There's, there's two left on this planet of the northern white rhino. Um, we have a statue at our zoo called the last three, which is a representation of the last northern white rhinos. And, you know, and zoos knew they were going to go extinct decades ago. The numbers just weren't, they couldn't reproduce fast enough to save themselves. So have been collecting semen from males in, in the care of man. Um, the last two females are on a man-managed land in Africa. They've been able to collect eggs from those females uh, and create embryos that are now frozen. And the goal is really to take what we're learning about artificially inseminating southern white rhinos. And at some point when we're comfortable with that process, because it's relatively successfully new, um, use southern whites as a surrogate to bring back northern white rhinos from zero. By that time, they'll be at zero. And so literally zoos will save that species and bring them back um, from a count of zero. This is really known for saving the whooping crane from extinction. There was less than 20 birds at one point. Um, our zoo took in an injured whooping crane from Fish and Wildlife, got permission to breed that bird. This was back in the 40s and 50s. Had a little baby named Tex, and that really started the movement to bring back and save whooping cranes from extinction. And it was a bunch of zoo directors that got together and said, we need to save this species. And now there's six to 800 of those. Um, and the, the great thing for us is that, you know, they're the largest bird in North America and they, and they come down to the Texas coast every summer. So Texans know who they are. So you can tell these stories that people relate with personally, like the Texas horn lizard in Texas or the, the whooping crane or some mega species that you're trying to save like a rhino. Then people understand here's how important zoos are. Our association, if you combine all the accredited zoos in the country uh, and some are overseas, we put over $200 million back into conservation every single year all over the world. Um, and so when people visit zoos or donate to the zoos, um, they're funding those conservation efforts around the world. And literally, it's a, it's a race to save this planet. And zoos are uh, at the front of that line trying to do that work and work with you know, nonprofits in other countries or conservation groups in other countries to save these species. That is a lot of critical work. Yeah, especially about the rhino. I hear that in other corners of conservation about the need to privately help kind of restore them. I know zoos do a great job with that as well. So yeah, you guys do play a very instrumental role in doing that. And if you guys were to be taken out of the equation, so much of this would be lost. And also I think Americans would lose out on really learning about their surroundings. And I feel like zoos are a great escape from kind of the stresses of the day-to-day and -day, you know, type of jobs, stresses in, you know, different things in, in, in the country issues. So it's a great escape. I think it should be still existing as, as is and should be encouraged and more people should visit zoos. And where can people best learn about the San Antonio Zoo, about your efforts and find ways to come visit? Yeah, you can go to uh, sazoo.org and find out all of our information. And it's a great zoo just as a zoological facility. And then we layer on top of that great events year round. You know, right now we have dinosaurs. We're teaching kind of the history of the dinosaurs and talk about it as an example of something that went extinct. Um, so we really kind of tie those events into what we're doing and year round events. But yeah, you nailed it on the head when you talk about people. It's kind of an escape and it's good for people physically and mentally to be out in nature. We know this. There's data that shows it. There's data that shows when people visit zoos and connect with those animals, there's a greater care for those animals in the wild. So if you lose zoos and the ability for people to come connect with those animals here in their communities, um, they're forgotten and they're lost forever. And that, that's what will happen. You know, 
a couple of years ago, if you rewind two years ago beyond, and before that, you know, the critics would say, you know, well, they can see it on YouTube now. They can view it on this. They can do all these things. I'm like, we went through a year of virtual learning in schools and it didn't go well. And that's a perfect example. There's no better living example of how that does not work than the COVID virtual learning year where our kids all struggled around the world to learn and keep up with a live virtual teacher on the, on the screen. So mm-hmm. it is not a substitute to visiting a zoo and seeing animals and getting up close and connecting with them and talking to keepers and talking to conservationists about what the zoo is doing. So it's critical that we're here, not only for the species that we're working with as a zoological facility, but as an, or, an organization and a community leader in the communities we are in for people to come out, connect with the, each other as families and enjoy nature and, and connect with the animals that we care for. Yeah, being outdoors is very socially distance approved. It's recreating responsibly. That's what they talked about early on and it should be encouraged definitely. And zoos should also fit into that framework in addition to going out to nature as well. Tim, are there any social media links that you can drop for my listeners to follow you, follow the zoo and any other pertinent uh, institutions relating to zoological work? Sure. Yeah. You can find me. Um, I'm all over the place on social. So everyone will think I'm crazy, but (laughs) at Manana (laughs) Zoo on Twitter and at Manana Zoo on Instagram, which is M-A-N-A-N-A and then Z-O-O. Um, and then, of course, I'm on Facebook. Um, the zoo has really incredible social media. Uh, we It's almost funny now to us. We go viral about once a week, something wow. goes national, international out of our social media with the videos and pictures or stories that we're doing. Um, and that's at, at SA Zoo, at San Antonio Zoo, at all those locations, Twitter, Instagram, um, Facebook, you know, you, if there's social media, we're there and, it's, and we have a really fun time doing it. You know, what we talk about all the time and Jack Hanna once said, you know, famously, you know, we can never forget that zoos are fun. People come to zoos because they're fun. And so we, that's our culture internally as well. We want, we know that our employees come to work here because they love animals and they think it would be fun to work at a zoo. And so we try to make it like that. Uh, we try to make it like that for our guests. And we know if they're having fun, they stay longer. And if they stay longer, we have more opportunity to teach them. And when you're learning, having fun, that's the best learning you can get. And so that's really important to us. But our social, you know, you'll see great stories on. We have a duck that um, lives in our hippo pool. He's been there since he was a baby, just never left. He's got an injured wing. He thinks he's a hippo. His name's Kevin. The the, the animal care specialist named him Kevin. And we have a very famous hippo named Timothy on social media also that writes love letters to Fiona every week. And so Timothy lives with his grandma, Uma, and Kevin the duck. And Kevin thinks he's a hippo. And we've done really fun videos on that. And now there's T-shirts for Kevin and Timothy. I mean, just really fun social media things. But it's connecting people to, to the animals here. And, you know, zoos before, you know, didn't, want, didn't talk about animals with names or animals with personalities. They were kind of just looked at as stock. And now, you know, you look what our activists were doing way ahead of us. They were attacking us with emotion. Blackfish attacking SeaWorld was not with any real data it was with um, trickery and emotion. And so um, we have to be at that place as well. And our animal care specialists love the animals here. So let's say they love the animals and um, they spend a lot more time here than with their own families at home. So uh, we, I think zoos and our zoo particularly have done a much better job of telling people we do love these animals. We care for these animals. They're our family. And, you know, if we lose an animal due to old age or whatever it is, we mourn them like a family member. And um, they have names and they have personalities and you'll see that on our social media. We really tell those stories well and connect people to the animals here. That's definitely the case on most social medias and I'm scanning through and I see that as well. That's really great. 
Tim, this has been a pleasure. I really appreciate you speaking to me about what's happening at the San Antonio Zoo, giving a glimpse into what goes on. I think this is a great topic. I like to interject kind of other sub areas of conservation too, beside what I typically talk about. And I love zoos, so I'm happy to uh, bring individuals like you on to talk about it. So I hope we can connect sometime in the future. Maybe I can come back to San Antonio and visit the zoo for myself and see what you guys have going on. So I greatly appreciate you coming on and, and sharing the good word of zoos and zoological societies. Well, we, yeah, thank you for helping to spread the word and we'll definitely have to get you down for a visit and a tour. And, um, I have to get you on a do a podcast with Dr. Finoli, our, our conservation biologist, who I call the most interesting man in the world, who, you know, we're leading projects on almost every continent. And so he's just an amazing person to talk to and has dedicated his entire life um, since as a child to conservation of um, amazing species and amazing places like the Amazon and things like that. So he's we'd love to have you back too and meet him and interview him and just just meet the staff. And I tell people when they visit zoos, talk to the staff and you will just be blown away at the passion and knowledge they have about what they're doing. I'll certainly take you up on the offer and we'll be in touch too. So yeah, it's been great. I, re I really appreciate it. And I think people will really like this as well. No, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the show. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure you're following us on your preferred podcast player. We like to recommend Apple Podcasts because Apple is where most of our listenership hails from. So if you head over to Apple, subscribe, comb through some episodes, and leave us reviews, we'd be more than appreciative of your support in that manner. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to never miss a beat nor a guest announcement. And you can connect with me personally on my social media feeds, all of the Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram links that I have are all denoted by blue check marks. Really easy to find me. So engage with me there. I'd love to hear your thoughts. If you want to recommend yourself for the show as a prospective guest, I'm all ears to hear and sift through different inquiries. Stay tuned for the next episode. Really appreciate you listening to District of Conservation.